when we all create content, nobody's left to consume it. And will Facebook's new instant articles wreck your favorite media brands? This is episode 20 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asacker. Tom, when we all create content, will there be anybody left to consume it? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> this is uh, inspired by an article from the great Bob Levsetz, uh, a man who writes very thoughtful uh, and often very uh, confusing uh, pieces. <laughs> and this one's no exception. The title of it, by the way, is built, for, is built to defy SEL. The title is Where We're At. Where we're at. There you go. Who's ever going to find that, right? <laughs> who's ever going to search for that? Let me search for where we're at. Um, here's the opening, which kind of spells it all out. The means of production have come down in cost, and we're overwhelmed by the resulting productions. Everybody's got a documentary. Everybody's got a track. And other than their relatives, no one's got time to view or listen. Therefore, there's a rush to talent and publicity, and those excluded are disillusioned while the public is overwhelmed by the tsunami of content. Now, as far as that goes undeniably true right uh, other well yeah i mean the rush to talent and publicity i mean we can debate that a little bit but uh listen his whole piece smacks uh, of hyperbole but most <laughs> but most of his ramblings do i mean that's why i love the guy he, he speaks his mind you know and he nearly always speaks the truth and i think in this case f- from that standpoint yeah he's absolutely correct I mean, we're drowning in this stuff. I mean, in 2003, this, this blew my mind when I read this. Um, the executive chairman of Google, Eric Schmidt, at the time I mm-hmm. think he was CEO of Google, he, this, listen to, to the startling statement he made at a conference. This was in 2003. He said that every two days now, we create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization up until 2003. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was 12 years ago. <laughs> so I don't even know what, what, what that means today, right? Well, it's absolutely true. I think that um, uh, Bob's right in terms of the way he frames the problem, but then he goes on. I think he gets uh, stuck in some muck here because he continues, those in power know, all, know it's all about attention, so they double down with the press and we're so overwhelmed he, we get turned off. And I thought, wait a minute. We, we do? I, I think he gets turned off. Um, I don't know that we get turned off. It seems to me that what the press is doing is shining a light on the stuff that it has a business stake in for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the stuff they want to create attention around because that's the stuff they want to stand out amidst all this chaos, no? Well, it's funny. When you read that, it sounded to me like he was saying that the press gets turned off, which, which may be true. Right. <laughs> from from everybody saying, come on, give us give us the attention, the media attention that, that we that we need in order to get our our product uh, looked mm-hmm. at, you know, the attention mm-hmm. we need. Do consumers get turned off by I, I understand what he's saying. Right. I mean, he, he, he's saying you're watching Good Morning America and they they have some musician that's coming up onto mm-hmm. the stage and, you know, there's some kind of promotion co-promotion going on. I think he's turned off by that. Yes, I think he is turned off by that. But I don't think most of the rest of us care one whit about that. One of the points he makes in here, everybody's a creator, everybody's a broadcaster, everybody's a writer, and that's just too much. Okay, I agree. 
But here's where he continues, and this is where he goes wrong. And the funny thing is the filters don't realize their power. The truth is, unless the screed is presented by an authorized outlet, I don't care. Well, the filters do realize their power. That's why there's this rush to vertical integration. That's why every producer wants to be a distributor and every distributor wants to be producer. And that's why you see Good Morning America uh, pimp their own content. That's why at the end of uh, The Apprentice, um, the person in the limo who just got fired says, tune in tomorrow morning on the Today Show um, and you'll see me interviewed. I mean, that's vertical integration at its finest. That's the recognition that the filters do realize their power and they're not afraid to use it. And isn't that, for example, uh, also reflected in the music industry to the extent that they want to get more money out of um, uh, the Spotify's, the Pandora's, and the radio industries of the world because they recognize that these are the authorized outlets, to use the term, that uh, left sets is using, and these are the guys who have the most at stake and the most likely to pay the higher rate, right? <laughs> okay, so I think I see where Bob's coming from, and I understand exactly where you're coming from. You're right; they do recognize their power. I think what Bob's saying is they don't recognize the cultural influence they have mm-hmm. in in the in the environment in the marketplace. Are you right. saying he? Are you saying he's making a comment about taste? It might be right. I mean, what's he saying? <laughs> he has to know that they recognize their power. He has to, right? So what he's saying is they don't recognize the power that they have as cultural curators to give us the good stuff and hold back the junk. Well, wow. Okay, that's that's shouting into the wind for sure. <laughs> I mean, here's, but supporting that point, he says, in order to be a nobody and penetrate my consciousness in the absence of the, you know, the taste factor of, of, of big media that you just indicated, right. you've got to be better than the New York Times or Wall Street Journal writers. Well, if that were true, how do you explain Bob Lefsetz himself? This is what I'm telling you. See, this is what's, <laughs> go, this is what's going on. He's, he's upset that, that this thing, it, he seems to forget that this has always been a money game. Yes. That's what's going on here. He's, he's rewinding back to the 50s and 60s saying the good stuff bubbled up. Now, how, how he doesn't see that it's always been that, that's been the game forever, I have no idea. In part through payola. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, at have you seen that documentary on, on the, uh, the background singers for all these great bands? No. Yeah, well, it's, it's wonderful. And then you look at it and you say... These people were better artists than the people that made it. Mm -hmm. Why didn't they Mm. ever make it? Because they couldn't cut through and get, you know, get the attention that they needed from the money makers. That's Mm. why. And, you know, there were people then who couldn't cut through. There are people now who could, there are more people now who couldn't cut through, which I think is what he's trying to remind us. He goes, he says, uh, we live in an era of chaos. It won't last forever. There will be a thin layer, which many consume and then everything else. Tom, this is already true. Oh, I mean, right now, yep. most of the stuff on iTunes is unheard or heard only once if it's heard at all. He says even fewer people will be successful than before despite everyone being able to create. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because more are creating. That's why fewer are going to be successful. Fewer the, are going to be successful, but there'll be different fewer. I mean, right. that's, the, that's the key. That's what the, the creation tools allow. Not more people to be more successful, more popular, more powerful, but different 
people to be more successful, more influential, more popular, more powerful, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, we get, we get what now? About 190 TV channels, the average mm-hmm. U.S. TV home. You know, and the only reason that all those channels are there is because our big cable bill subsidizing all that content right now. Right. So most of that you might as well consider, in, in his point of view, a failure. Whether it's on TV or not, we're not, we're not watching it. That's true. And, and, to, and to be sure, you and I have both watched in kind of awe as, um, as the drumbeat uh, gets louder and louder. You know, start your podcast. Here's how to start your podcast. Here's yep. how to monetize your podcast. Here's how to network with other podcasts. And it's almost as if there's this feeling that attention is infinite when, in fact, attention is incredibly finite and attention is particularly finite for any streams of content which are audio and require 15, 20, 30, 60 minutes of devoted attention in order to consume, right? Yeah. See, I I recently read an article. It was a study a few years back by the uh, San Diego Supercomputer Center. And they predicted that by now, 2015... The sum of media asked for and delivered to consumers on mobile devices and to their homes would take more than 15 hours a day to see or hear. How, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, there was this psychologist, famed psychologist, Otto Rank, and he once said, I think he wrote it in a letter. This was in 1933. He wrote, for the time being, I gave up writing. There is already too much truth in the world, an overproduction <laughs> which apparently cannot be consumed. That was in 1933. <laughs> so this is telling us something about content in general. I mean, nonfiction in particular, but it's that people are not looking for more information or advice. You know, I mean, grab any diet and exercise book on the market, do what they say, and you'll lose weight. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. People are looking for something completely different, something that perfectly fits their particular desires, something that validates themselves and their views. We've talked about this. And that's why people are trying to build tribes so that they can feed their tribes the stuff they create. And that, Tom, is why in the future, everyone will have a podcast and every podcast will have exactly one listener. Well, maybe two if it's like you and me. We can have two listeners. <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, will Facebook's new instant articles wreck your favorite media brands? <laughs> I, I have to begin by kind of defining what these are. Uh, instant articles, uh, the new um, uh, announcement from Facebook recently, these are uh, pieces of content that are consumed in their entirety on Facebook's mobile apps, meaning the reader does not have to click through to the publisher's site. What a great idea, right? At launch, brands like BuzzFeed, New York Times, BBC News, The Guardian, and National Geographic. National Geographic, by the way, always stands out to me when I see these lists. <laughs> what the heck is that there for? They have access to create and publish these instant articles um, at, the, uh, at the onset. So characteristics of these instant articles, what makes them different? Here are just a few bullets. Autoplay video as you scroll, interactive maps, audio captions, ability to explore images by tilting your phone, (laughs) engage with individual parts of an article in line the way uh, you can, for example, on on Medium. So on the surface, this seems very, very exciting and promising, yes? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, basically what it's saying is come to Facebook and you never have to leave, right? (laughs) 
I mean, that's what's going on here. Facebook that is, made these people an offer they couldn't refuse. We'll give you access to our huge user base, plus we'll give you 100% of the revenues from any ads that you sell, mm-hmm. and we'll give you 70% from the ads that we sell. So you look at that and you say, oh, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's very interesting because I think it goes back to the relationship. And obviously, you know, these media companies, all media companies are threatened. They feel their relationships with their consumers are threatened because Facebook has so much attention and people have people are kind of shimmying their relationships over to Facebook and away from these media companies and 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 um assets like this it seems to me will hasten that movement. Because now the more your content lives within the four corners of Facebook, the more my loyalty is to Facebook in terms of what it provides, in terms of what it provides, rather than to the media companies that may be supplying Facebook, right? You're exactly right. I mean, many have referred to this deal as a Faustian bargain for the media mm-hmm. publishers. In essence, they're sacrificing their brand in exchange for ad revenue. And it's one thing if you have a strategy for engaging mm-hmm. you know, Facebook readers with some kind of distinctive value that will eventually lure them away back to you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that, you're simply becoming a content tool for Facebook, and that's just going to solidify their strategy of trying to become a major news destination. Right, which they are clearly not right now. Um, right now. Um, Thomas Bagdell, in one of our uh, pieces that we'll link to in the uh, show notes, has some really interesting thoughts on this, which I, I just want to mention, and I know you've read this as well. Here are some of, the, some of the negatives of this, besides the one you just indicated. For one thing, it creates the equivalent, the equivalent of second-class media companies, right? You either have a deal for these uh, instant articles on Facebook or you don't. Mm. And if you don't, you don't get... Um, you know, the big pluses of this arrangement. So in a sense, it's, 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 it goes back to the net neutrality argument, right? It's the fast path for those of means, for those big media companies who do these deals and everyone else gets, you know, the kids' table right. off in the corner. And Bechtel said it's analogous to the way AOL worked. You know, you were an authorized... A- Remember in the days you had your own AOL keyword. That's right. Uh, that was a big deal to have your own AOL keyword. You either did or you did not. Um, here's one of the other uh, arguments. It, it's because it's so fast, it reminds consumer, it reminds media companies of how slow their experience is on mobile platforms and how they will pay the price for that. Now, that's not Facebook's fault. That's obviously the media company's fault. Oh, of course. I mean, it's the same thing when a- Amazon started doing one-click free shipping. Everybody right. else looked terrible. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But here's the other thing he said, which I thought was so interesting. He did a whole report on the what he called the five different behaviors that define news consumption. The break, the update, the lookup, the story and the passion, and the recline. Now, I'm not going to go into what all these are, but essentially the, his point is that, that each of these um, in, uh, embody a specific intent. You know, my intention is to take a break. My intention is to get an update. My intention is to look something up, et cetera. Mm. And that he said, in general, Facebook is not used by people who have an intent. People, Facebook is used as a distraction. People who have a tiny bit of time, they want a quick break. That is the intent, in fact, to fulfill this quick break with some stimulation. And as a result, the loyalty... Um, 
to the content provider doesn't really exist because my loyalty goes to the, the media entity that's satisfying my distraction, which is Facebook. That's right. So, so what does that, the, the question for me is what does that mean for the future? I'm, I mean, I'm having a difficult time imagining what the New York Times brand looks like in the future if, if all of this content moves over to platforms like Facebook and you know what? Maybe they are too. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's what this deal really reveals, that media publishers, you know, at least the nine who've agreed thus far, they don't really have an optimistic vision of growing their own audiences on their own platforms in a digital future. So, so they're willing to go over and get the ad revenue from Facebook's platform. Well, they would say that this is one of many experiments. It just happens to be an experiment with a, you know, huge behemoth um, (laughs) that is a black hole for attention and at this point, ad dollars. The other thing that I think is interesting is um, that, and Bechtel makes this point, if you can optimize your content for the fact that, you know, it's lacking in loyalty and it's essentially a destination for distraction, then that's awesome. BuzzFeed, for example, is a perfect uh, partner for this. But there are other media companies, you know, The Atlantic, for example, New York Times, where your your intent is different. When you read a New York Times article, you're not looking for what you're looking for when you read a BuzzFeed article. And, And not just that, but you know, the, the the promise of access to these people isn't the same as the delivery of traction among these people. He points out that there are two ways your content can be seen on Facebook unless, of course, you're advertising. One is you publish the content on your Facebook page, okay? And then only the people, only the small fraction of people Facebook lets see it are going to see it regardless, right? Whatever the algorithm permits. Right. They still have to decide to click on it, Right. And the decision to click on it is going to be a function of their intent going in. So if they don't have the intent, then they're not going to click on it anyway. So again, it favors BuzzFeed. The whole operation favors BuzzFeed and and is biased against the kind of content that these these media brands are famous for, yes? It favors Facebook. Yes, it favors Facebook. (laughs) That's who it favors. And and it's amazing to me that, that, that the publishers are feeding Facebook exactly what they need to grow mm-hmm. in relevance. You know, well, do they think at some point that they're going to do what? Hold Facebook hostage <laughs> and say, if we don't get our terms, we're going to pull our articles. They are terrified of an intervention because they know there's no recovery program. That's, That's the right. reality of the situation. That's it. All right. It's time for rants and raves. Tom, what do you have this week? Okay. So this is a rant rave. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, rant rave about uh, innovation and uh, new media and, and, and how I think we're all losing our minds. So Pizza Hut in Hong Kong has released something called the Blockbuster Box. You heard of this? No. Okay, so it's a pizza box that doubles as a movie projector. <laughs> so, so you know that little plastic table looking thing that sits in the middle of the box it stops the box yes. from resting okay well yes. when you when you order this thing you open it up there's like a lens sitting on top of that little plastic thing you take the lens out and you pop out a hole on the side of the box yeah you pop the lens into that hole and voila you've got a movie projector so you this is what you do you place your smartphone in the box 
and you can project like a YouTube video or some other video onto a wall. Or you can scan a code on the box with your smartphone and access a selection of like short films that Pizza Hut had made. Now, I haven't seen one of these like Pizza Hut movies yet, but I, I doubt they're going to rank well on Rotten Tomatoes. But, but listen, let me give a quick rave before I rant. Okay, yay for thinking outside the pizza box, okay? But come on. This is nothing but a pure attention-seeking gimmick. Who's going to order these pizzas and watch these, these ridiculous-looking, you know, however it's going to appear on this wall? I mean, is, who's going to order it? Crack addicts and abandoned buildings? I'm trying to figure out what's going You know, why not make a better pizza? How about that? And when I heard that, I was, I was reminded of something that the, uh, the comedian Mitch Hedberg once said about Ritz crackers. He said... When you buy a box of Ritz, Ritz crackers, on the back of the box, they have all these suggestions as to what to put on top of the Ritz. Try it with turkey and cheese. Try it with peanut butter. He says, but I like crackers, man. That's why I bought it, because I like crackers. I don't see a suggestion to put a Ritz on top of a Ritz. I didn't buy them because they're little edible plates. You've got no faith in the product itself. And I suppose neither does Pizza Hut. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. I love that. All right, I have um, three rants, and mm. each one more delicious than the last. So <laughs> here we go. Let's begin at the speaking of pizza. <laughs> begin at the beginning. California man sues, says Uber was his idea. Oh, God. I just love this. Have I, you heard I, this? I, I know, but I thought I had that idea. Yeah, I ahead. know, didn't everybody? <laughs> so a yogi and filmmaker who has previously sued two other technology firms. <laughs> filed suit against Uber, claiming its founders and investors stole the idea and design of the service from him. This is, a guy's name is Kurt, uh, Kevin Halperin, and uh, he says um, the CEO of Uber stole the idea for a real-time cellular phone-based car service from his startup, Cellulide, Celluride, which you can't even pronounce, <laughs> Celluride. His name's Kevin, and he's a yogi. I love the Celluride Film Festival up in Colorado, by right. the way. Uh, Celluride Wireless, which Halpern founded in 2003. According to the suit, he discussed the idea with the CEO and his co-founder beginning in 2006. Two years later, that CEO and co-founder presented the ideas at a venture capital conference and Uber launched several months later. So here's the best part. Now, there were no agreements between these gentlemen at all. Just, quote-unquote, oral agreements. Indeed, what Halpern did is what his attorney termed a poor man's copyright. He sealed <laughs> a letter to himself. He, he sealed a sealed envelope he mailed himself in 2005, which included information about his idea. The envelope is still sealed and now resides in his safe. And here's what amazes me about this. I, first of all, a poor man's copyright. You know what's barely more expensive than a poor man's copyright? What's that? A copyright. An actual copyright. <laughs> I think yes. it's less expensive. It's because you can do it online. Little. You don't even have to put a stamp on it. That's correct. And you know what's also very inexpensive? This document called a non-disclosure agreement, <laughs> both of which this gentleman seems to have uh, forgotten. And oh, by the way, it turns out he has a history of filing lawsuits. He's uh, he's filed a couple of other technology lawsuits. On his Facebook page, he describes himself as an entrepreneur, ride-sharing pioneer, environmental filmmaker, aspiring yogi, organic lover, Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine devotee, and essential oil disciple. <laughs> so, 
I think the lesson is, uh, when, if he invites you to lunch, you know, make sure your agreement's signed in advance. Exactly. Bring your lawyer with you. Bring your lawyer to lunch. That's, That's right. right. Okay. Rant number two. This is from Al Reese in Ad Age. And um, we all know Al Reese, Reese and Trout, the positioning guys, right? Yep. Hey, Google, put some of those ad dollars back in advertising. Company rakes in millions in ad revenue, but its own ad spending is rather small. Now, this just, I just, I just, okay, basically this is a piece that says advertising can be powerful. Um, Google makes a ton of money from advertising. In fact, Google makes, in the U.S. alone, $25 billion in advertising. That's more than the entire radio industry, more than magazines, more than newspapers. <laughs> Google alone accounts for 14% of all me- measured media spending. Google last year increased its revenues by 10%, and here he says, here's the clincher. If I were running Google, I would be spending a small fortune protecting my advertising revenue stream. And how do you protect a market position? The best way is with advertising. Al, <laughs> listen, you just listen. said this, this. This guy comes from the snap, crackle, and pop days. He said, <laughs> that's what's going on here. <laughs> you just said Google increased its revenues last year by ten percent. <laughs> Why do they need to advertise? Uh, and the answer is because they make so much money from advertising. Tom, I, I, what am I missing? I, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't. Listen, you're not missing anything. I told you that's that's just this is this is people. You can't change people's way of thinking. You know, <laughs> he should get together with Bob. They do a great article together. Yeah, Bob Lefsetz and <laughs> Al Reese. Lefs, yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, last one. Um, this is from the category I call crap articles with brand pedigrees. Uh oh. Yeah, this is again from Ad Age. Clearly a brand pedigree, right? Um, Here's the title, Four Disruptive Trends That Will Spark a New Creative Heyday. Embracing disruption will lead to a positive change for the ad industry. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, don't you just want to read this article because you know it's going to be filled with just, like incredibly oh, useful the insights, content? the insights that we would never the find. insights Do it. What are, are going to be amazing. <laughs> um, so I just want to read to you what these, you know, what the numbered insights are. Here we go. Number one, more people are being creative and that's good for everyone. Not according to Bob. (laughs) That's true. Number two, the creative process is changing, but we should change it faster. Mark, are you really (laughs) reading from an article right now? I am. This this is the reason the article exists. These are the big points. This this is what's in bold and numbered. Number three, reducing costs is no longer optional, but efficiency doesn't have to kill creativity. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) Here's the fourth one. What's new is already old. So let's keep experimenting. <laughs> this is, the, I like this. This is an ad age. This is, the, this is the cotton candy of marketing wisdom. Or if you're in the Southwest like me, the deep fried churro of marketing wisdom. Hey, you know, the only good news for them is be, nobody's reading it because of all the content that's out there. That's true. Except for you. I don't know Except how you for find me. this I, stuff. I just couldn't. So I thought I would take the liberty of saying, well, those are those points are good enough. Let me add a few of my own. So I added three of my own. So see if these are as good as the ones that they have. Here's number five, the one that I added. Go ahead. Creativity is good. No, it's great. I like that one. Now Al would like that one too. (laughs) Number six, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Eh, I don't know, Mark. I think that one is is subtle. So it may... People may have to work to figure that one out. 
Okay, here's the last one that I added. <laughs> Number seven, I'm sorry, officer, I've left my license in my pants and I left my pants in my other car. That's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> who can disagree with that one? <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can catch us at SoundCloud, Podcast One, Radio Inc., Media Biz Bloggers, and Net News Check. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the fabulous, amazing producer who's gotten us out of many a jam oh, yeah. <laughs> of Media Unplugged, <laughs> Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. Music.